today, our theme is bearing God's image in that we're created in God's image. And in so doing, to reveal God's character. So let's say it in another way. Here's the point of our meditation today, and we'll look at it in more detail. We have the privilege as male and female image bearers to reveal the character of God to the world through the way that we honor one another as men and women. One of the things the Lord has put on my heart, and I have a special desire to see women released in all that they can be and what God's called them to be. But as it's matured over the years, it's come to a point where I realize all of this is intended for us to partner as men and women in the way we bear his image and in the way we serve and lead together. So let's explore this by, first of all, looking at God's character. we can ask the question, what was God doing before the creation of the world? And one of the things that we can clarify is from John 1, verses 1 and 2, John is writing about the way it was in creation. And he basically says it this way. In the beginning, that is the beginning of a creation of the world as we know it, the Word was already the Word was already in other words, this is already present. Uh, for us, we're thinking of, well, there had to be some start to this, but again, in the fullness of all that God is, there's really no beginning. God is self-existent. So, in the beginning, the word already existed. Why don't we read this together? In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. So the word here is referring, of course, to Christ. And the reason for this is, in the philosophy at the time John was writing this, there was this idea, this general idea, that there was some force, some force in the universe that caused all this to hold together. And uh, it was the logos. It was the reason for the way things were they were. And so John is saying, yes, it was the logos, but the logos is a person. And so the word was in the beginning. Uh, the word was with God, and so the word with here is the idea of being pro or for or toward. In other words, I'm for you. God is for you. So for God to be with you in this sense, and you know many times we pray, God be with someone, uh, I find fresh meaning in that prayer in this way because we're not just saying God be around or God be near or uh, God be present, but we're saying in the way that you are toward others, in the way that your whole being is to bless and honor and supply and 
fulfill and do unto others, that's what we're praying. Because that is the character of God. Uh, another way of saying this is, uh, you can see this image of three beings intertwined and moving, and it's sort of in a dance, and this is called perichoresis uh, as a way of describing it. But it's the idea that they're fully giving themselves one to the other constantly. And so the nature of the Trinity, or God is three in one, is constantly honoring and blessing and fulfilling what is for the other. God is other-oriented rather than self-oriented. God is for, God is pro, God is toward. And so this is essentially the nature of God is God is in fellowship. When we say that God is one, we don't mean there's just one person. We mean God is one in relationship. We're one in that we are honoring the same, blessing the same, coming from the same source, giving all one to the other. So, again, each of these truths is beyond our ability to capture with words, but let's keep trying. Let's keep trying to use words to do so. So, when Jesus was praying, having been the word in the beginning, having come, as we've already highlighted in our worship, to be the sacrifice for our sin and to restore us to a right relationship with God, as Jesus is about to complete that work, and he's praying in the garden, he again prays that he would be restored to, he's anticipating being in that fellowship fully with the Father and the Son as they had been for eternity. So let's declare this together. As he prays for us that we would enter into that oneness, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. So he was praying that we could actually enter in to the very relationship of the Father and Son. That we could actually experience that oneness with them. So the whole the whole attitude of God in fellowship, in this trinity of fellowship, is let's invite others into this with us. He's invited us as his created beings into that with him. So our familiar account of this is in Genesis chapters 1, um, verses 26 through 28. So let's uh, declare this together. Together? Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the creatures on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, 
he created them. So, them is male and female. Them is the image of God, or an expression or a likeness of God's nature. So, let's think about this logically. God wants us to be an image or an expression of God's character and nature. That would mean, logically, that God intended and desired for us to be in the same posture and attitude toward one another. That we would be toward one another. That we would be for one another. That we would be there to uh, build up, to be other-oriented, just as God is other-oriented. So in two ways, one, that we would be that way toward each other as male and female, but also that as we're that way together, we would be that way toward other persons of like creation. So we were created to be an expression of that same character of God in fellowship of being with or toward each other. And the term here of man is really Adam, in this sense a generic term meaning humanity, or uh, all of us, uh, not just the male man, and as distinguished from woman, but man as all of us. Well, since God decided to do that, let us, and the thought there is more than two, let us make man. Well, God did so. And having done so, God blessed who? Them. God blessed them in this togetherness in this towardness toward each other. Well, let's declare this truth together. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, <clears throat> be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the creatures, over every living thing that moves on the earth. We have been given this responsibility to rule or lead or direct the affairs here in the earth. So, we're familiar with this, but keep in mind now, the way we were to do this was in the character of God, of being toward one another. Well, we know the story that this oneness was broken when another voice came into the garden, another voice came to them, and by deception and then by a choice to listen to that other voice, which was saying, did God really mean that? So questioning the character of God, questioning the character of the one who is toward everyone, the one who is for everyone, and saying, is he really for you? That question, that deception, and then that twisting of the truth, this other voice was saying, 
you can be like God. Hey, we're already like God. But you can be like God in some way that you would be superior to how you understand it now. Ah, something other than what God had said originally. So, in listening or the choice to listen to that other voice, it broke the character, the spirit of God as we were created as them. And now we have this brokenness between them, she, he, blame, shame, and we're out of the flow of what God had intended for them. So, here is how God described it. After this broken place, uh, we read these thoughts. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, I'll just acknowledge my posture here. I believe this is descriptive of what would happen rather than prescriptive of the way it should be. Descriptive, not prescriptive. Let me show you why. The word desire here is the idea to pursue so as to overtake, to pursue so as to test the strength of another and, and overtake it. It's the same word that's used in chapter 4 of Genesis where God is warning Cain, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. He didn't, and he, he killed his brother Abel. You see, the word here is, the thought is, to test the strength and overtake it. So what God is saying here is because of the brokenness, because of the self-orientation, because of losing that towardness, now the tendency in women would be to overtake and in that sense be over or dominate in that way. And to the man he said, and he shall rule over you. Well, that's what men have the tendency. I am going to be in charge here. I'm going to rule over you. And so it created a whole culture, which we're still dealing with to this day, of who is in charge, who is over who, who is dominating who, who is ruling who. And so rather than being toward one another as men and women, or even as husband and wives, there's the posture of up and down, hierarchy, who's on top, who's on top. It's the wrong question. But it's a question that was introduced by that other voice in the garden. There is a place that we give one another as men and women by deferring preferring, submitting voluntarily to honor and bless the other. As we do that, 
we restore the themness, we restore the oneness, and we restore the image bearing of the character of God in tortness. Basically, when you set up hierarchy or over and under relationships, you raise the question of and the tendency of pride that we all deal with. I'm better than you. I can find some way that I'm better than you. That is not the character of God. The character of God is, I consider you better than me. But even casting that aside, I'm toward you. I'm for you. It's not a matter of who's better than. I'm here to express your value. Well, that set God on a course, God being toward us and for us, to restore us back to the original image-bearing task. And so, again, the Trinity in fellowship reaches out and extends and comes to us to restore us. We see, basically, as we know the gospel story, that somehow a life must be given to restore life. And so, by sending Jesus and Christ coming as one of the expressions of the Trinity, but as outward flow of all of the Trinity and oneness to provide forgiveness for our sin by sacrificing, get that word, sacrificing his life in exchange for restoration. And so this has made it possible for us to be restored in fellowship with God as we sung today. In the quiet, in the holiness, in the restfulness, God providing everything we need. We see also a restoration to be able to again walk in the cool of the day as we saw in the fellowship in the garden as before the fall. There's a restoration of being able to be in God's presence with God in all of God's holiness and be secure, be edified, be at oneness with them. There's a restoration for us as loving and honoring one another to partner together. Again, the character of God is to be other-oriented, to sacrifice for us, and to welcome us into the presence of oneness. Well, this actually shows us somewhat of the essence of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. Looking at some of the richness of the meaning of these words as used in the Hebrew in writing this to us, we see that really to be a man is to show blood. And in order to show blood, you have to 
shed blood. And blood being shed is giving one's life, and therefore the essence of being a man is to sacrifice himself for the sake of another. Oh, by the way, when Jesus died on the cross, he shed his blood. He was a real man. Sacrifice is the essence of being a man. Again, from this Hebrew idiom. Uh, for woman, the concept uh, would, could be expressed in fire. The idea of consuming that which is sacrificed, consuming that which is given, and bringing honor and, and a reverence for God in the way God is at work in a situation. Let's just express that together. I'd like to invite all of the women here to simply state that one phrase in the prayer the Lord gave us, hallowed be your name. And as we hear that together, notice the reverence that that brings. Sisters, would you serve us by, again, simply declaring that from your heart, hallowed be thy name. One of the things we know in, from Philippians chapter 2 that's an aspect of the mind of Christ is that it's to put the interest of others ahead of our own. The interest of others ahead of our own. Men, that would be an expression of sacrifice. Let's say that, the interest of others ahead of our own men, the interest of others ahead of our own. You see, together, that makes a beautiful ordering of life. Because in both instances, we are putting others, we are other-oriented, we are not self-oriented, we are giving attention to the character of God. For God to be known for who God is, to be cherished, to be loved, to be hallowed, that reverence brings an order into a situation as you women walk into it and have that posture. Well, along the way, we can see some glimpses of God restoring this posture uh, through his people in different stories of the Bible. Let's just look at a few of them quickly as uh, illustration. Uh, the one is the story of Abigail and David. Uh, David, at this time, now had approximately 600 men. He was, uh, 
He had been affirmed and blessed and anointed by Samuel. Samuel now, the prophet, has died. And so David is um, going about with this ragtag group of um, his own militia, so to speak. And one of the things he does is he protects uh, the flock of Nabal, a very rich man, uh, while, uh, from, from people stealing his flock. So David approaches Nabal through one of his servants to say, hey, um, could you give uh, my men some, something to eat because you know, we've protected your flocks and now that you're celebrating the shearing time and you're uh, shearing the sheep and you're going to sell all this wool, um, how, about, um, how about a tip? And so... Nabal being um, a very crude and uh, unappreciative leader uh, rejects this offer. And so David is saying, uh, I'm going to take, there's not going to be one of his servants left, and he's basically threatening to wipe out Nabal and his operation. Well, Nabal's wife, Abigail, learns about this from one of the servants and says, the servant said, this is not fair, this is not right for David to be rejected in this way. So Abigail quickly gets supplies, gets food, approaches David and his men with uh, the supplies and apologizes or intercedes or comes between what her husband had done and what she knows is the right thing to do in honoring David. It says she bowed low and uh, recognized David's authority, recognized his uh, rightness of seeking um, a tip, if you will. And uh, as a result, she kept David from doing something that would have been very unwise And so she demonstrates wisdom, she demonstrates reverence, and she demonstrates loyalty to what is right in the situation. Um, One of the benefits was that after Nabal passed away from a stroke, um, David took her as his wife, and she again bowed low and was grateful for that. The point of it is, she made a difference by honoring and doing what was right. Uh, We have the story of Boaz and Ruth, which you've been studying, and I've enjoyed listening to the last three messages on that. And I just want to point out that Ruth was harvesting among the, she was gleaning in the fields, and Boaz had said, treat her gently, and do not be rough with her. So it sounded like the men who were harvesting were kind of upset with these women following them, doing the gleaning and picking up whatever they dropped. And so we see here Boaz being honoring to her as she had been honoring to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Naomi was exercising or promoting the custom of redemption. 
uh, as Justin explained, and let's just review that, land went from generation to generation as sons were born and they carried on the stewardship of that. In that, Naomi, her sons had no offspring, and Ruth being um, married to them and therefore having no offspring, Naomi was saying, Ruth, if you go and submit to the custom of asking Boaz to be the redeemer of the land, see what happens. So she did, and she went and did as Naomi had said to her, and that's where we get the whole concept of covering, because Ruth said to Naomi, pardon me, Ruth said to Boaz, following Naomi's instruction, cover me. So she lay at his feet and uh, invited him to cover her with the mantle that he was wearing. And so I like to use the term covering only in the context of marriage. We talk about having a covering over us in a congregation or a, of authority in an organization. I like to keep that as oversight because covering has the whole concept of a marriage covenant. So she did that. Boaz took the steps to redeem her and uh, one of the ways he did that is he went to the city gates, and that's where business transactions were overseen and verified. And so he approached the man who had the closer relationship in order to redeem Ruth and the land that went with uh, passing from generation to generation. And one of the ways that they transacted land deals was they would exchange or give a shoe. And of course, a shoe represents wherever you tread. That was the land that was yours. And so, in the nearer relative giving Boaz the shoe, he was giving him the right to be a steward of the land and to marry Ruth. Uh, I'm wondering, uh, as you think of a shoe representing, what is the land? What is the area of responsibility that you carry in your family? Uh, what is it that you would like to be sure is passed on to the next generation of your children? What is it that you feel called to redeem when you look about the world around you or the area where you have responsibility, perhaps in your work, perhaps in your family, perhaps here in the congregation, perhaps in a ministry. What near relative, what what child, as it were, would you pass on responsibility to? Well, 
we also see another example of restoration of this honoring relationship one to the other in Romans 16, verses 1 and 2. And this is uh, where Paul is affirming a servant in the church. He's affirming quite a few people here, and he begins to say, I commend to you your, our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church in Sancria. Welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many and especially to me. Deacon hears the idea of minister, not necessarily limited to the concept of deacon as we exercise it today. He is honoring her. You have a sense here of them. And then finally, Jesus, as we look at this in Luke chapter 7, Jesus was invited by Simon, a Pharisee, to uh, come to his home for a meal. And while he's there, a woman comes in who, according to the scripture, had um, an immoral background. She kneels at Jesus' feet. She's washing them with tears, drying them with her hair and kissing his feet, and adding perfume. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. I'm better than you are. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, he replied. Then Jesus told him this story of a man loaned people two money, loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. What do you suppose, who do you suppose loved him more than that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she's washed them with their tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table among themselves said, Who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? I'm better than you are. And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith 
has saved you. Go in peace. Let's continue reading, though. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some of the women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. Jesus had an honoring relationship with women. And women were honoring him out of their appreciation for that love and respect. So, in Christ, let's confess this truth together. This is the point of what we have today. Together? In Christ, we have the privilege as male each bearers to reveal the character of God to the world through our honor as men and women. Invite the worship team to join us again. God being toward us. God inviting us into his presence. God sacrificially giving himself oneness. And out of that oneness, we see a restoration of being them. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and rule the earth. So I invite you to join the restoration movement where we would affirm one another, be kind to one another, to give life to one another, to honor the worth of one another, and as a result, reveal God through and with one another. Now, I know there are different views in the body of Christ about the relationship of men and women. And what I would say is if, if um, your own personal understanding is more what is called complementarian, where uh, men are considered leaders and women to follow, still exercise those convictions with towardness before putting the other ahead of oneself. Uh, some may have more of an egalitarian point of view, which is men and women are equal and, and even stressing the importance of women sometimes more than men. If that is your view, again, exercise that with towardness because that is how God is restoring everything. I'm actually working on what I would call a concept of synergism or synergetic, which is as we work together, we have a greater impact than working individually. So let's put the interest of others ahead of our own and consider others better 
than oneself, for that is the mind of Christ. Let's move toward fully honoring one another as men and women in whatever setting we are and reveal the character of God as we do.